0: Hello and welcome to Resistance Radio. I am John Kane. I am your host, and uh, I do have a guest this week. But first, let me begin the program by reminding people that we are listener supported radio. And if you are listening in New York City, I ask that you go to the WBAI pledge line, which is 212 209 2950, or go online to give to wbai.org. Uh, and make a contribution of any size. You can do it a one-time donation. You can do a time donation. You be- can become a BAI buddy and sign up for uh, a monthly uh, you know, contribution, you know, something modest, but it, for us it, it accumulates over a year's time, so it really helps us out. If you are listening to us in Washington, <coughs> D.C. on WPFW, um, I ask that you go to their pledge line, which is 202 588 9739, or go online. I know they have a new website for donations, but this is, and I don't have, have that right in front of me. So their, their original website, which you can still make a donation on is WPFWFM.org. And it's the same thing as with WBAI. You can make a one-time donation, a time donation, or become a sustaining member of the station um, and support what we do. We are listener supported radio. We depend almost solely on your contributions Uh so, again, support the, the station. And if you make the contribution in the name of this show, it, uh, you know, it, it benefits me because it tells management that, that you are listening and that you value the program that we present here. Um, and this program is one you're going to really value because I've got a, a special guest uh, and somebody that, you know, frankly, I'm a, I, you know, I, we've, many of us have heard of, uh, of Dr. Philip Zimbardo uh, and some of the work that he's done. Um, and he has, he's made a mark in the area of uh, psychology um, that, is, that others have built upon um, and some have exploited. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit. So please allow me to introduce, um, and it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Philip Zimbardo, 40 uh, year um, professor at Stanford, uh, former uh, president of the American Psychological Association and a guy who's still very, very busy. Uh, uh, doctor. I'm not going to call you Dr. Phil either. I'm going to call you Dr. But, Dr., oh. uh, again, I appreciate and thank you for joining me on the program. Uh, my
1: pleasure to be here. Uh, you could just call me Phil, okay. but not Dr.
0: Phil.
1: <laughs> I don't want to be associated with the other, other
0: guy. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Well, you know, part of the reason that your name became um, – on or really got on my radar beyond some of the work that you you've done um in general is as you know I, I and 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 other native people were very much involved in uh in many native issues but not the least of which is the mascot issue one in which we're trying to end the stereotypical use of of native imagery and uh, names uh, some of them appropriate, some not very appropriate. And you know, the 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 general consensus throughout Native peoples, Indigenous peoples, is that we oppose this thing. Now that's not to say that there aren't a few individual individuals, Native people, or and although I haven't seen a nation, one nation yet that's uh, that's stepped up to support this, although they've made some allowances. You know, we're pretty we're pretty unified on this thing, but there are some individuals. And there's a there's a group they call themselves the Native American Native American Guardians Association, and they claim to be a native organization, although some of that is suspect. And they certainly have a lot of non-native influence. Um, they are not endorsed by any nation or or legitimate native organization. And one of the guys that is um, that is one of the the primary, uh, and I, I want I mean he, he he really puts himself out there as. Some sort of authority on the, on this issue is a guy by the name of Andre Bilodeau, and you know Andre is a guy who's non native, although he recently did one of those saliva tests and determined that he he now can call himself native because uh, one one or two percentages of his DNA claim to, <laughs> claim him to be native. But um, all of a sudden, this this Andre Bilodeau started dropping your name and and was characterizing you as his mentor. Uh, He was trying to use some of the work that you've done in things like, um, uh, you know, uh, past negatives, um, although he seems to really misinterpret the work that you've done on on the problems of stereotypes. But he's listed you, and, and, and often, and actually, almost made it appear as if he was a psychologist. Now, being a psychology student doesn't make you a psychologist, obviously. So tell tell me, you know what you know of Andre Bilodeau, um at all, and uh, and and what you and, and whatever statement you want to make about his use of your name and your work. Okay, yeah, <clears throat> uh,
1: he said I I was his mentor. I don't recall that at all. He was definitely a student at Stanford University, where I, as you said, I taught for forty years, and I. I I had many students that I supervised. Now, that means if they get, uh, there are two groups of students. Some are research assistants and some are teaching assistants. And I don't remember him in either capacity. Um, and I don't even remember, I, I, I literally have no memory of him. Um, now, maybe it's because I'm 89 years old, my memory is failing. But, but essentially, I'd like to get back to him and say, you know, what, exactly was our relationship in detail. Um, But what's important is that he misrepresents my position entirely. Um, That is, uh, in fact, when I was at Stanford, I was one of the people who championed the notion that that Stanford mascot, which was called the Indian. And we got me and other faculty got them to change it to the cardinal, Mm -hmm. you know, now and everybody l- liked that um, but the, and I have always championed the notion of being sensitive to creating positive images of our indigenous people as well as those of many immigrants around the world who came to the United States. My family is a hundred percent Sicilian, my grandparents my, my on my mother's side and father's side immigrated from Sicily you know and again we're, were really poor uh, and they helped make th- this you know, make this nation a great nation. Uh, so I stand in total support of the coalition of Natives and allies who are cultivating unity to end racism. Uh, now, Andre Bilodeau totally misrepresents my position. What does that mean? Uh, uh, some years ago, I did research on the psychology of time perspective. I was the first, in fact. And essentially, what it was is, I created a scale, and and you take the scale, and you have several categories. You can be focused entirely on the past. Other people on the present. Other people always on the future. But within those, some people are focused on the past, negative. They when they when they ask them, remind me of your past. They remember bad things being hurt, being humiliated. Others, it's wonderful and great. I had great friends, great time. Uh, and, and those who focus on the future, uh, are the ones that's essentially what education should do is make you future oriented. That is set goals and work hard to achieve them. So Andre misrepresents my position entirely a hundred could not be more, more, uh, different than the reality. Um, so, um, so, um, and, and again, he says, whites, you know, students will be upset by the disappearance of, of their familiar mascot. Some might be, but it's not going to cause them, you know, mental illness. It just, when something is familiar to you, you just, you're used to it. And when it's taken away, you know, you're curious as to why, well, it's not just take it away. We explain that indigenous people uh demand respect and that that mascots uh, um you know denigrate native american people um uh, no matter what the mascot is uh and many of them are cartoon characters you know uh and and so it's positive pot so what we want is a positive representation of our indigenous people and, and not the negative one and, and has nothing to do with time perspective. So I really feel awful that he's taking my, my hard, hard work and misrepresenting it 100%. Well,
0: even, even like his, his discussion of uh, things like identity, uh, he referenced um, some of what you had uh, acknowledged about uh, how much high school can, can inform you know, a, a young person's identity. But you never made that direct association that it was the mascot of high school that informed that, that identity. So he tries to do that and actually uses an analogy of a school that was represented by one of these Confederate you know, um, soldiers or heroes or whatever else and talks about how angry that made you know, a, a white student. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible that he actually uses you know, one of these racist um, uh, imageries that is not native to to discuss how angry it made a a white you know a white privileged kid. I mean, it it, it misses the point. And and the other thing that I couldn't help but notice, but e- even one of your most famous pieces of work, which is the, the Stanford Prison Experiment, it seems like a big part of that experiment was was to acknowledge how an individual can be shaped and um and conform to the expected stereotype or role that that is imposed upon them which is which you which should be a condemnation of the use of stereotypes which is exactly just the opposite of what what this guy is doing with your work no, you're
1: exactly right really I'm, I'm really pleased John that 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 you portray it that way yeah uh, <clears throat> you know, I mean again it's <clears throat> he's defending a small number of <clears throat> White American students, uh, who you know have a privileged life, and they're used to certain things going in their direction, going their way, and 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 of course they will get temporarily upset when something they know is changed, whatever whatever that is. Um, but their their temporary upset um, goes against the. Uh, the abuse that mascots have on the mentality of all native people uh, and that's why you know, he's wrong uh, he should be he is denigrated uh, and the, the important point is to continue to work to eliminate all native all, all mascots uh, all uh, caricatures uh, of native people instead to be celebrating you know they, they are our the origin of all white people of all immigrants. They were here first. It was their land that was stolen, uh, and so so again, it's hopefully we can um, your listeners at least can disallow any state any statements, criticism that Andre Billudu presents
0: or or and anyone we, because obviously this anyone. is a pretty broad <clears throat> uh, consensus that the psychological associations and community this you know trade organizations has really come to they they've all acknowledged that regardless of the claimed intent it is still mockery it is still predominantly white people taking an image that that they've created uh, for us claimed it for themselves to capture certain characterizations that may not be ours the the, the violence the um, you know, the this the, the warrior and all of those things. I mean, that's not really who Native people are. I mean, and, and that's the way we've been characterized for the benefit of white people's um, amusement and entertainment in this regard. But, it you know, and, I, and when I tell people that this is mockery, they say, oh, we're not mocking Native people. They simply don't understand the definition of mockery. I mean, it, it isn't always about denigrating. It's about creating you know, imitating a people that you know you aren't those folks. And and I can't I'll, I can never get away from the idea that when most of these schools and these college and professional teams adopted these these mascots, Native children were being, ripped from, were being ripped from their homes and sent to these Indian boarding schools and residential schools where they were being punished and abused for trying to maintain their identity. At the same time that white kids can Put, smear their mom's makeup on their face for war paint. Beat on their oatmeal right. canisters for or for for tom toms. And and they can play in the And it's and it's taxpayer supported schools that are not just allowing it but promoting this stuff. And, and so I don't know how. I mean I don't know how anybody could do any kind of psychological analysis. And that's kind of what this guy's claiming to do. Um, and not understand that stereotypes are a problem because. We don't create our own stereotype. Our stereotypes are created by a dominant culture around us. And, and, and that's kind of, you know, I think what you, you demonstrated in your, the, the prison experiment that you did is that, you know, the guards, you know, uh, there may be people who sign up for that job who may very well think that they're doing some sort of noble task. But they become shaped and even now police departments and and prison guards they go through all of this cultural sensitivity training and everything else and then when they hit the you know hit the pavement running in the jobs the first thing that their cohorts tell them is well you can forget all that stuff you know here's the reality the reality is they are the enemy they are the bad guys we are the enforcers and and I know this from from you know the experience that that I've had with people who work in that trade so these people become shaped by the stereotype that is created for them and so they become the abuser and the and the prisoners become denigrated because of uh you know because that's what the system does to people who are you know convicted you know rightfully or not you know what happens with when somebody becomes imprisoned is you know is is obviously dehumanizing
1: right absolutely yeah i mean the you make such really good points that I, I support every one of them, and you know. So it's really so important um, to say what can be done to raise the image of native peoples. Um, what can be done to uh, embrace uh, our historical connection with them? to identify the negative things that white people have done to native people. Uh, and, you know, and you know, we talk about restitution. Uh, America can never pay enough money to Native people uh, for all they suffered, for all, all who were killed, whose land was taken. Uh, but but I say now in you know in 2022, it's like let's let's restart the engine. And say how how can we be in support of of Native American people uh, again in in our country uh, in in whatever way they think is appropriate.
0: Well, and I think part of the whole thing, for, as a native person, is is acknowledging that we're still here, that we're still here, that we still. Um, are trying to maintain our distinction. And it's not to necessarily, you know, we're not trying to denigrate, you know, white folks or Americans or Canadians or anybody else, but we don't want to necessarily be forced into um into assimilation. We don't want to be forced into this the you know, this process of, of indoctrination that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean let's let's be honest. I mean Assimilation is still genocide because it is creating the conditions that we cease to exist as the people we once were, or that we are trying to maintain uh, as we are. And that's the challenge that we're faced with. So when I talk about you know, reparations or, or whatever else, I'm saying, look, we need restoration of, of, of lands that were wrongfully taken, and maybe not all of them, but certainly enough that we can, we can live prosperous lives. And we also need restoration of our autonomy and our distinction. So when people get all worried about things like sovereignty and what's that mean, look, we're still living very much under the gun. I mean, as far as the federal government is concerned, what they consider a quote unquote federally recognized tribe is a tribe band or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States, even though there is not necessarily any legal precedent to, to make that. So they, you know, you know, one of the things that, that happens in this debate about things like past negatives and and critical race theory is that you've had, you know, the white right essentially turn this idea and this concept of critical race theory into um, just teaching negative history. And that's not what critical race theory is. Critical race theory, the whole basis is to understand the intersection of racism and law and policy that exists today so we can know how to deal with existing laws and policy and understand that that racism oftentimes was at the foundation of that stuff. I mean, so when you have people that say well, we shouldn't teach critical race theory, why would you, uh, how would any society not want to understand that there are certain things that are a part of that society that are lay, that lay on the foundation of racism?
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So... <clears throat> um you know our nation uh, uh is also guilty of the mistreatment of african americans who, who were who were enslaved had no identity who were bought and sold at, at auctions uh and 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 it's only now many many uh decade, years decades later that it's even acknowledged. Um, but again, in some cases, the issue is, can there be reparations? Well, they can't only because there's so many uh, descendants of, of slaves. Just imagine that people come to America and they are enslaved. Uh, now, so and they come to America where Native American people live there and are not part of the uh, the brutality against them um so in a funny way native american people and africans african dash americans have a, a similar uh, challenge against the american autocracy um and it's um it's just heartbreaking to You know, to think about. I mean, I am proud to be an American. I'm also proud to be a Sicilian. I'm also proud to be born in the South Bronx, where I I lived for 30 years before coming to San Francisco. Uh, But, but for example, like Columbus, uh, Christopher Columbus is is uh, you know a hero among uh, Italian people, and. And it turns out that he was um, a racist. He, he, did, he and his, his uh, people did terrible things against um, all, all people who were here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so again, in San Francisco, one of the main thoroughfares is Columbus Avenue and there are statues. So again, I'm part of a group that says we should change the name of the street, the Avenue, but that's almost impossible to do because people are so used to it mm-hmm. um but again recently we saw the toppling of statues in many cities across America where without thinking they were honoring a general or a a president you know uh who ultimately was a racist and how he treated african american people how he treated uh uh, uh Native American
0: people Well, and you know, and uh, this is where I, I, I agree with you, we have very um, uh, similar forms of oppression between native people and, uh, and, and black people, and we have a lot of shared experiences. I think the biggest distinction between us is while most of the civil rights movement was geared towards trying to equalize rights for black people in within you know the, the context of America, Native people, we're still trying to fight for our, our autonomy and, and our distinction. Right. And so that's really, but, but really much of our, our, our struggle is the same. And in fact, I think that Native people have been a beneficiary of the Black Lives Matter movement because that's when you saw not only a lot of these statues toppled, not just not just Confederate statues, but like you said, Columbus statues. Sacramento, they, they toppled that statue for Huna Parasera, who th- this right. pope turned into a saint because of the crimes that he committed against indigenous people. So we've been the beneficiary of, of a movement that has tried to call um, on, on the consciousness of, uh, of, of today to say, look, we, we can do better. And, and really trying to idolize and heroize these, uh, these uh, people who have been falsely represented throughout history, mostly because they, they advanced somebody else's agenda. Is, is something that we need to put a stop to. One of the things that I have to say also, getting back to specifically to the mascot issue, you know, most of this mascot issue and the fight is, it doesn't really involve the students. I mean, and it's, it's crazy in a way because the students are the ones who, that these schools are supposed to be servicing or are serving, but you have the alumni, some people who have, who have dug in because of their living, their, their reliving their past glory of high school sports or whatever right. else. And, They become entrenched, not only in, you know, in all of this, you know, anti-cancel culture stuff, but I mean, the line, the political line that that follows with this mascot fight, you know, fits in with, you know, the, uh, you know, Trumpism and, you know, and and a lot of, you know, right wing, um, you know, a lot of the right wing agenda. And, you know, so. It kind of, and, and, and again, it draws me to another piece of your work. You, you did, wrote a book called The Lucifer Effect. And, right. and I, although I haven't read the book, I just I kind of read an outline. You, you talk about how good people can be turned to do terrible right. things. And, yes. and I think racism, look, I, I live on the Cataractas Territory of Seneca Nation. We're 30 miles from Buffalo. You know, three months ago, some young kid drove 150 miles to a black neighborhood in East Buffalo and shot up a Tops grocery store and killed, bla- killed 10 black people, injured another three. And, you know, had, and had all this racist manifesto stuff that he was associated with. I mean, you don't pop out of the womb with this kind of anger and and hatred. Right. You, you, so you can take an innocent child and, and not just a child, but you can take an innocent human being and really, um, you know, radicalize them in ways that, that where terrible things can be, can be a product of, uh, of you know of what is done sometimes in the home, but we also have a certain level of social acceptance to this stuff. I mean, I, I'm not saying every, every white person is a racist, but it, you know there are many non you know, there are many white people who who are really uncomfortable with racism but won't necessarily take a stand against it. So they become right. somewhat complicit, and right. and and that's part of the problem. We should do everything in our power to make sure that schools and workplaces are not places that this stuff can be bred uh, and and impact people. Because you know, again, I, you can talk a little bit about about your book. Because I think this idea that that people can be turned is something, you know, that I, I don't think people fully fully understand or appreciate.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So the Lucifer effect. Um, is um, a big book that uh, that I go into great detail uh, about the Stanford Prison Study. How I set it up, and then also after the study was over, what's in the book that I've never had before is I follow up some of the prisoners, some of the guards, uh, some of my staff. You know, what effect did it have on them? But then I also bring in Abu Ghraib prison, where I was a, I was a consultant, uh, where American soldiers did horrific things uh, to prisoners they were supposed to be in charge of. So it was again, it was like the same a prison study, you know, on uh, <laughs> I don't know on heroin. Yeah. Um, uh, but then the, the one good thing at the end on chapter sixteen, which for me is the most important thing is I raised the question if um, uh, good people can be twisted and turned to do evil, is it possible for ordinary people to become heroes? And then I I, I entertained the notion that our view of heroes has always been these are special people, these are unique. And I'm saying, no, anyone can be a hero uh, if you learn how to stand up, speak out, uh, against uh, injustice, against evil, and certainly always come to the aid of others. And then with that, I started the Heroic Imagination Project, or HIP, uh, where for the past 20 years, my 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 colleagues and I have worked in all, all over the world to help train people in how to uh, combat racism, on how to promote goodness, how to promote... Uh, Caring for other people. The basic notion is to transform being egocentric about me into sociocentric about we.
0: Well, and it's interesting because now one of the common phrases um, and programs that is that is that's out there for both schools and workplace is this notion of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and uh-huh. and it sounds you know like the work that you've been doing with HIP lays some of that groundwork for this idea that we have to appreciate you know this the diversity not just be tolerant because I I think the idea of of tolerance um it it almost compartmentalizes the way that we should be dealing with appreciating some diversity it it almost like well, now we're going to tolerate it well what's wrong with respecting it or or welcoming the diversity not just tolerating it so now I see this diversity, equity, inclusion, which, which many workplaces, you know, both public and private, um, but also schools, almost every school in the country, certainly New York State has been pushing hard on the inclusion of, the, of these diversity, equity, inclusion programs, which are geared towards, you know, doing what bullying, discrimination, bigotry, racism, all of that stuff. So, I mean, it sounds like your heroic imagination project is almost you know lays a little bit of the foundation for what is now this this DEI work that is being done
1: right yeah it's um i, I hate the word tolerate yeah uh, <laughs> to, well yeah cuz i mean tolerate means uh you're you're uh accepting pr- provisionally something that um you re- basically really don't like exactly so so, you know, we, we tolerate certain kinds of germs, uh, but you, it's not tolerate. The word is respect. Exactly. It's caring. It's uh, being willing to stand up and openly, publicly supporting a cause uh, uh, without concern for, you know, what will happen to your reputation, et cetera. Again, you know, our American prejudice also extends to white females. Absolutely. That, yeah you know, and it's only in recent times that women have started to stand up you know for equal rights uh, but you know there's so much data on you know how uh female workers are underpaid they they are rarely uh, rarely put into positions of higher management uh, and and so it's although America is a wonderful country in many ways, it's history. Uh, and even till now, has been uh, platformed on sexist, racist, uh, not only beliefs and practice. practices. Is the important thing. you can believe whatever you want, but when you put it into practice, then it's going to hurt someone.
0: Well, it's the whole idea that you know when we talk about racism, but it's not just racism, as you said. We find these. Um, Embedded or institutional um, inequities that that make it their way into the legal system. They make their way into into the, the the economic systems, the education system. So when you have this level of embedded inequity, whether it's based on you know ethnic, racial, or or gender discrimination, that's that's a big challenge to overcome. That and and I think that work is something that's gonna that must go on. I mean, because we can't just talk about it, like you said, in the past. This is stuff that we're currently dealing with that oftentimes made its way into these policies and laws and practices, you know, sometimes centuries ago. And, and yet we're still living with the legacy of these things. And that's why addressing that history is not just about making people uncomfortable. It's about saying this is why the stuff has to change today, because it, is, it was founded on some of these, these inequities from the past.
1: Right. Yeah. And again, we have to teach it in our schools, but it's not clear, um, you know, who is writing about it. You know, again, you know, we we need a survey of, you know, textbooks that are used in grammar school and certainly in high school, um, and, and just demand that there be a, a, a reappraisal of anything, anything in those books about, uh, American history to include, you know, as we said, uh, th- these negative chapters uh, about prejudice, racism, against Native peoples, against African-American people. Uh, oh, again, Japanese Americans suffered incredibly uh, at, you know after the bombing of Pearl Harbor way back in 1941. I mean, these were American citizens who had nothing to do with that. And we sent them to concentration camps, it, the whole families. We and, and in doing so, we took away their businesses that other people profited from, uh, and you know, and and that was a big, big disgrace. Um, that that I mean, so when you start listing what are all of the complaints against "in quote America," we ha- we have to add that. So it's Native American people. It's it's black american people. It's I mean the, the the immigration
0: laws graphic. that were specifically crafted to deal with the chinese immigrants. I mean it, it, there's there's a if you go through history, you can find case after case after case where sometimes there's specific laws and specific language that ad- addressed a specific marginalized people. And then of course, there are there are practices that may not be written, but but also, you know, there, there may not have been laws on the books that targeted Irish immigrants or Italian immigrants, but we know the policies certainly would suggest that there was plenty of that. But, you know, and, and again, one of the things that, that distinguishes part of the plight that Native people face is that, you know, we can accept that, that, you know, the Jewish Holocaust and some of the adversity that Jewish people went through, but we can also acknowledge the successes that they've had. And we can yeah. see that across the board, whether it's you know Irish people or Italian people, but but people of color, brown people. I mean, yep. the idea that we that we refer to this immigration problem when the, the concept of immigration, when it relates to people coming across the southern border of the United States is we were, you know, most indigenous people were migratory people uh, in the first place. It's only immigration because some white folks drew a line in the sand and said, this is where our country starts. And now anybody who crosses this line isn't just migration, it's immigration. And, you know, so it's, you know, it's, this, these are the concepts that, and this is part of what I address on this show. So you're not the first person to hear from me, but it's it's part of what I address on a, on a, on a weekly basis, because I think people have a false sense of what, what we acknowledge as policy today, where it comes from and where it, where it has been.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So again, um, you know, there are many people who say, you know, America first, but one thing on one side is first to acknowledge all of the bad things that our forefathers and foremothers did, uh, but then to embrace embrace diversity, to say, you know, how is America different from Ireland or Italy or uh, France or Germany? It's, it's the, the diversity of peoples. I mean, uh, you know, uh, there are hundreds of different uh, American, in quote, tribes, um, you know, that stretch, you know, across the board. And, and that's what makes America great. Um, and, you know, so what does it mean to be proud to be an American, which I am, is to say, we did bad shit in the past. Uh, this is time to admit it this is time to co- compensate for it uh, and then what do we have to do to make america fulfill its promise of freedom and justice and dignity for all and that that that's not easy to do but it's it's a it's a mission that we should all be part of
0: well and i know that you've also addressed you know what has now become such a strong effort to whitewash history and you know, in the in an effort to to uh, you know do away with anything that's uncomfortable in American history, that becomes that that's dangerous. And I, I think if you don't confront some of the worst parts of you know of American history, then you're or or that you romanticize and glorify. I am mean, let's face it, the United States is the only country on the planet that used nuclear weapons to to kill massive right. amounts of people, civilians, and. Now they stand as somehow the arbiter of of justice when it comes to things like nuclear weaponry. And that's problematic. And and I think we have to own some of that stuff. You know, the other thing is that, that I'm real cautious about because now we hear this, this expression, American exceptionalism. And I sometimes can't help but feel like that's a little bit of a euphemism for what was formerly called white supremacy. I mean, We've got to acknowledge that yes, there are some things that that you know Americans can be proud of, but I think the idea that to cast you know anybody above the rest of the planet—I mean, that's that's been part of the problem of racism.
1: Yeah. Anyway, you, you use the phrase "whitewash," um, and you know, whitewash means that you like you paint over black and you but whitewash is done by white people. Exactly. <laughs> You know so it should be right it should be right washed, yeah. rather than white wa- whitewash um and uh let's see f- final statements is um is that what can young people do to counteract as you said earlier the 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 horrible things that trumpism and the right wing, uh, Republicans are doing to our country, uh, to distort uh, the basic values in our constitution, uh, uh, to distort appreciation and value of minority peoples everywhere in our country. And I think, I think I read somewhere that more than 200 different minority groups in America. And, uh, and they want America for white Americans. They don't say that America for Americans. You know, bring back what they're saying is bring back uh, whitey. Uh, and, and you know, now and the last thing I want to say is when you said about mascots, when I was a kid, uh, one of my heroes was the Lone Ranger. That he would he would fight evil, etc. And who was his sidekick, Tonto? Uh, who could? Who, I think in the movies, it's so, barely spoke English. It never spoke at all, you know. And the Lone Ranger would say, "Come on, Tonto, we're going to go this place or that place," and Tonto would nod. So, so I'm saying, as a kid, I took it for granted that you know native people don't speak English, uh, and so all they could do is nod yes or no. Uh, and you know, and thinking back on it, it's just the fact that he was. Um, that he, Tonto uh, was our image of what Native American people are like, and what they do is they take orders from white leaders, from the Lone Ranger.
0: Yeah, and you know, look, and actually the, the guy who played Tonto was Jay Silverhill Heels, and he's um, he's actually from a community not far on the Canadian side, not far from where we live here, and um, and that's a name that's still a, a, a common name in in some of our areas. Um, and, and look, I, you know, and I, it's not to condemn the human being who played that role. But but you're right. They had to fulfill a stereotype that was being created for Native people. Just This idea that we were silent or, there, or that we were stoic. We're 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 bad with English. I mean, look, I get it all the time. I'll i hear people say, "Well, you're very articulate," and they, they they actually leave out the part. Of course, black people hear it all the time for a black person or for a native person. It's like, right. no, my education is as good as as anybody else's, and my ability right. to to not only speak English but understand native concepts that are locked in our language is actually something that makes that gives me um, a leg up. Because if you only have this narrow idea of, of, of what how the English language is used in terms of labeling without even understanding etymology and that kind of stuff that's that's something that I, I think that harms a lot of people so the, you know again a lot of this gets back to what you talked about with education I mean part of the whole thing is understanding some of the true history but also understanding the roles that um, you know that that people have played that have never been you know fully characterized look I mean, one of the things that, that I that I find one of the things that I find a bit of a challenge is, you know, anytime somebody wants to heroize native people, they they always prop up somebody who has been successfully assimilated. So they'll right. they'll, they'll praise the the code talker, for instance. They don't talk about yeah, the fact right. that that those individuals were were having their language exploited. I mean, our language, right. languages were being killed for for hundreds of years, and in this situation, the military found a, found a way to to utilize our language for their benefit. And many right. of those people who were forced were forced into doing these these jobs as code talkers. We look at you know native people who become successful in you know whether it's politics, but we rarely point to the people who are successful within native communities and and allow us right. to define what su- success is for a native person.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so it's, again, who is in charge of definitions, yeah. you know, and order scale. scale? Um, now, unfortunately, I'm going to have to go. Uh, I'm taking care of my grandson, who is six months old, uh, and and his mother needs a break. But it's been a wonderful experience, and uh, I've written a little statement that you could share with, with your listeners, if you wish.
0: Okay, yeah, you can send it to me, and I'll make sure that... Uh, that, that- you know, that, that gets put out uh, in a number of ways, but it it has been a real pleasure to have you. I mean, your, your work has been phenomenal um, and I'm glad to have a first person account of what some of that work is supposed to really represent rather than somebody who is taking advantage the way um, these, these, uh, um, you know, these pro mascot folks are. It's been, it's been a pleasure having you. I would love to have you back again. Um, uh, There's a, I I I'm, I'm going to continue to follow your work with the uh, heroic imagination project. Is there a website yeah. that um, that you want want to promote? Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Heroicimagination. I think it's .com or .org. Okay, Imag-
0: okay. I'll look for that and uh, and make sure that I that I post it with some of the work. Phil um, Zimbardo, I want to, I again I want to thank you so much for joining me. It's been it's been a real pleasure and an honor to have you as a part of uh, my program resistance radio. And I really enjoyed, you know, it, it's
1: it's high level discussion that you rarely get on talk shows. Uh, and I'm I'm honored to be your guest.
0: All right, I know you got to go. Um, so uh, again, it's been it's been great to have you, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you again. You take care of yourself. You too. Thank you, John. All right, thank you. All right, that was Dr. Philip Zombardo a psychologist whose his work has been peer reviewed it has been used over and over and over again so so people can really understand what the effects of stereotypes are what the effect you know, how good people can be turned to do very terrible things i mean you know we hear it all the time we always associate associate this idea of of radicalizing people as you know some sort of um thing that only happens to other countries, that only happens to other people, but the reality is this idea of radicalizing people. And and, and look, we're seeing it. these these shootings that that happens uh, in public places, these race-based shootings that you know happened here, you know, in, in the, the Buffalo area that I live next to, or and across the country. These are all examples of people who don't pop out of the womb, as I say, with these racist or or you know hate-filled uh, motives. But they but they build upon them. You know, part of the thing and, and, and in the future when I when I have um, Dr. Zimbardo on again, I'd like to talk about how how young people can stand up to not only what still may be remaining in in some of their education, but how they deal with homes. I mean, look, I don't think every young person necessarily wants to follow in their parents footsteps. And I you know I hate to you know, I'm not trying to you know teach rebellion necessarily. I mean, but look, we've always talked about the generation gap and the fact that that young people will rebel against their parents at some point. But I think you know I think there has to be purpose and 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 again, altruism associated with what you're prepared to push back. I mean we we make fun of 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 the Archie bunkers, um, you know, whether it's on television or or these folks that we see every day in our world. but I think I think poking fun at that kind of behavior is important. I mean, it's it's incredible that a guy like Donald Trump could be come president of the United States and and have the the level of influence that he has. I mean and it's not to say that, you know, this guy didn't invent racism, but he sure has emboldened people with some of their, you know, their their race based behavior. And this is part of the problem. And and I, I think this is one of the challenges that I think that that the people face. And and they face it globally. I mean, we we see it, you know, in in the United States and, and to a lo- lesser extent in Canada. But we see it in the United States that it gets um, uh, exacerbated by the fact that there's so many guns in in, in, the, in society, and and that you know a lot of the the most uh, ardent right wing supporters are the guys who have you know who have closets full of guns, and and so when you teach this level of 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 hatred and pushback against, you know what? Again, this idea that that you know white fragility has become such a, a pronounced you know part of American society that you you see this kind of behavior that that gets violent and so I mean it, this is this is a challenge. I you know I can't say enough about how appreciative I am that 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 somebody you know as esteemed as as Dr. Phil Zimbardo, Will join me on this program. And of course, you know, part of his own motivation is because his name has been used wrongly, his work has been mischaracterized. And, you know, and when when you when you give, I mean, you're talking about I mean, Dr. Zimbardo's in his 80s now. He was a 40-year tenured professor at Stanford. He, you know, he has dedicated, you know, his entire life for all intents and purposes, to eradicate discrimination, prejudice. And racism, and has studied it at the psychological level, both in, you know, harsh conditions like you, like the the Stanford Prison Experiment, but also by just acknowledging how much stereotypes can can change people, because we become forced into. I mean, you know, we, we joke a little bit about Jay Silver, Silver Hills playing the Tonto character on Lone Ranger, you know, in the for the purpose of of playing a role on television, yes, he had to conform. But we as native people, we are being pushed to conform to this these ideals that are that are held for us. And it's something that we that we that is a challenge for us. I mean, look, we we get told that we don't look the right way, we don't act the right way, we're not living up to the stereotypes or living down to the stereotypes that have been created for us. And not by us, but for us, and that they, that are imposed upon us. You know, when we when we see American history taught, Native people are taught as as some as relics of the past. That you never see a contemporary contemporary um, teachings about who Native people are, but just who we were. And you know, the, again, oftentimes the code talkers are the most recent you know manifestation of this American um, stereotype of who Native people are. I mean, I've I've literally heard people suggest that Native people enlist in the armed forces at a higher rate than any other group within American society because it fulfills our warrior um, culture. I mean, how absurd is it that, that somebody would assume that Native people enlist because we have some, what, some bloodlust, some desire to kill and fight. I and mean, they won't acknowledge that, that part of the reason that not just native people, but other marginalized people enlist is because there are so very little opportunities for native people and other marginalized people. In the services is oftentimes we are led to believe that racism isn't gonna be as prevalent when you're in the military, because you know we listen to this whole band of brothers kind of thing. But that's not really true. It's not true when you're enlisted. And it's not, certainly not true for those people who, you know, who come out of the military. And we know that the United States has not done much to, to help deprogram. Unless, face it, you get into the military and part of the, the, the parts of basic training and everything else that you go through is an indoctrination that you can identify other human beings as less than you because they are the enemy. Well, you come out of that prison system and then you've never done, gone through any training to, to mitigate some of that. I mean, that's, that's very problematic. But again, this is, this is kind of what, um, what the experience has been. So look, I, again, I can't say enough about how grateful I am that, uh, that, that Dr. Phillips Lombardo has joined me here. Um, his work is incredible. The, the long, longevity uh, of his work and advocacy is also incredible. I mean, I mean, most of us hope that we can be not just you know have you know a a full life like like uh, Dr. Zimbardo has not had but has, but that we can remain active and uh, and engaged in political and social commentary the way you know the way that he has. So again, um, I am pleased to have brought Dr. Zimbardo onto WBAI and to WPFW. I think his work is essential. Uh, I think it is essential that this listening audience and others will hear it. I look forward to posting this up as a podcast. And, um, and, and again, I, 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 I hope it is well publicized on WBAI and, and uh, WPFW that, uh, that I had such a notable guest on the program. Um, and, and again, I think even though we, we geared much of the conversation towards the work that I do and others do in terms of eradicating stereotypes and racism that native people experience, the conversation goes well beyond. And, and we talked about what other marginalized people, including women, have experienced. So great program, great guest, and um, and I can't say enough about how appreciative I am that uh, that he was so willing to give me um, you know his valuable time. Again, I want to thank you for listening. Support WBAI, support WPFW, um, and uh, we'll... We'll we'll see you next time. This is John Cain for Resistance Radio. Yahweh.